Hi, everybody. Welcome to our podcast, Frontier Faith, a podcast where it's okay not to know. Um, We talk about here how we've all been on different journeys, um, usually with some kind of theological component to them, and it brings up a lot of uncertainty, things we don't know about and we don't know which direction to go, and we're saying that's okay. It's okay not to know for a while. It's okay to play some things by ear um, and explore that way. My name is Ryan Harris. And my name is Nathan Whitaker. So today we're going to continue with our um, the next part of our project that we've called The Well, um, which is where someone shares part of their story with us about a specific topic um, with the hopes that we all can not ne- not just learn from it, because we hope this is more of an ac- more than just a, a head thing, but so that we can all participate in other people's experiences, at least as much as we can, as much as that is a possible thing to do, and as a way to build community and, and give people opportunities to um, explore that, that avenue of healing or um, expression. And so today we decided we were gonna talk about death, which is uh, a big topic, right? Um, and so I think, I'm just going to start this way and say, Nate, why are we talking about death today? And how is that part of your story that you've had to wrestle with? Yeah, so we're talking about death today because uh, I experience death anxiety. Uh, I I generally deal with anxiety. Uh, I've gotten on medication to help with that. I usually don't like share that information, but some people are wary of meds for that. Um, I haven't had any issues. It's actually been really helpful. Yeah. Just to chime in there. I too do that. And it's changed my life so much for the better. So if you need that kind of thing, talk to your doctor. They're great. Anyway. Yeah, please do. It's, you know, it's a hit and miss for some people, but for me, it's just been uh, amazing. Um, so I deal with general anxiety, but I also have uh, panic attacks and anxiety attacks around death. And we're going to kind of explore what that really means after uh, a bit of a story of how I experienced that. Uh, but it is a piece of me and I just haven't ever talked about this story, really. Uh, Ryan knows pieces of it uh, because especially more recent ones where I've needed his help to kind of guide me. Um, but I, I just haven't shared this story because uh, I don't know why I just haven't. Um, well, it's not the easiest story to share, right? I mean, if you sat down with someone and said, Hey, can we talk about death? <laughs> it's going to be tough, right? Um, because of how people are about death and all of the cultural stuff and all of that, not to mention the theological element. So, um, yeah, it's a pretty heavy topic and everyone knows me well here on the podcast, at least well enough to know that I don't shy away from heavy stuff, but, (laughs) um, this one was a bit different and, uh, I want to get to the story, but you know, with stuff we've explored here on the podcast, Uh, There's a lot of like ambiguity and other stuff that makes me very uncomfortable to talk about it uh, because uh, it's dealing with emotional depth in a way that I don't typically share. Of course, I feel it, but I don't really talk about emotional death that way or depth that way. Um, And so it's I'm not saying this like (laughs) I want to tell this story or at least try to. I want to show that um, it's okay because I've had some help with this, but it very much fits into a lot of what we talk about that the answers we've been given or the ways in which we live life together has not been very helpful for me in this, um, this issue. Right. So if you wanted to start the story then, I mean, so where would you start the story? So I think I'd start the story with the first realization of mortality. Uh, I remember 
and I think this was the first time, but I remember I grew up with uh, Nintendo and Super Nintendo, like many of us here, um, and we loved it. We loved it uh, more than anything else when Super Nintendo came out and we were able to play Mario Kart. We <laughs> would spend hours playing that game. Do you remember when those things were state-of-the-art too? Super yeah. Nintendo's? And I had yeah. a Genesis and it was like, whoa, you know. So It was yeah. amazing. It felt real um, mm-hmm. in a very weird way. Uh, and it was just a lot of fun. I mean, I still remember to this day some of the precise battles I had on Super Smash Brothers uh-huh. and uh, Mario Kart Battle Royale, where you have those shells that spin around you and you mm-hmm. shoot them out. Uh, it's just so much fun. And uh, when and when I say we, it's me and my brothers primarily. We had some friends that would come over and play too, but it was basically me and my brothers, uh, which I laugh because we would probably be fighting more often than. <laughs> right yeah we would play that quite a bit and i remember my brothers and i we would talk about um talk about it with our dad and our mom and we wanted our dad to come play with us um my dad was never really an outside guy which i really empathize with because i'm not <laughs> um and so he would be at home and he'd be reading or whatever um and we'd try to get him to come up, and he never came up. And it was Mario Kart that brought him up. We told him it was a racing game. It was really fun, and we wanted him to join us. Well, as we were playing the game, my dad did what now I would laugh at as an old person, but he, he held the remote control, and he kind of steered it like he was steering a car. <laughs> um, and yeah. he had to push buttons, but he didn't know which buttons to push and all that. And you know, he's got three kids there um, making fun of him because that's kind of what our family does. Uh, and he's really struggling. And it wasn't very long. He didn't he didn't stay there very long until he got very frustrated and um, put the, the controller down and just said something like, I can't do this. I got to go. Mm-hmm. Um And it's so weird because, you know, that's such a small thing in the life of a child. But for me, that was kind of a big thing. And it was a big thing because it was the first moment I really remember uh, my dad as being a human being. Um, I, I can't, I was, you know, 10 in the tweens, maybe. And, I knew of death uh, for animals because mm-hmm. we had pets and, you know, as kids that uh, we threw around a goldfish once because oh, we're dear. terrible boys. Yeah. Um, and, and it didn't make an impact at all, even though my mom tried to make an impact on us about it. Yeah. Um, we were sad when our, when our dog died. Um, but you, you know, you kind of move on and, um, it's sad because the everyday life stuff is is missing. It's changed. But uh, when I realized that my dad was weak and that because he was a human being and broken, that he would eventually die, just the fact that he would die, not not that he wouldn't be in my life or this, that, or the other, just simply his mortality, that was a new thought to me. And uh, it was a thought that was terrifying, um, which is weird, just as an aside, because I live in a church body that talks about the death of Jesus Christ all the time. Yeah, but Jesus came back, though, right? <laughs> Jesus came back. Yeah, yeah. So there's that. Um, so I remember as I'm experiencing this, of course, uh, whenever I have something new that happens, I kind of retreat in myself and think about it. It's just how I do everything. Things that are good, things that are bad. It doesn't really matter if it's something especially unexpected and takes more energy for me to spend time on. I will retreat into myself and think about it. And so I'm doing that and you know, we're still living our lives, doing our things. And my, my mom took me somewhere, I don't know, soccer practice, something, you know, that a kid does. And I must have been 
annoying that day, or maybe I was silent. I don't know what it was. Can't remember all the details, but I do remember actually just starting to cry. And my mom asked why, and I tried to tell her. I said, well, it was because, um, you know, dad's going to die. And <laughs> Which, you know, if you're, wow, it, it's just interesting how, you know, children have these experiences, but don't like, aren't able to explain what they're feeling or thinking or worrying about. And then the adults hear it. And I mean, I imagine that came out of nowhere as far as your mom was. Concerned. <laughs> yeah, it probably did. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, um, being a parent, you're always trying to find out why your kids are doing this, that, or the other. And, um, I don't know. We must have gotten a fight or something. And I don't want to spend too much time on this because it's just my my mom reacting and I don't blame her or anything like that. The impression I got from that small little fight that we had in the car was that you, you don't talk about death. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I don't think my mom was trying to do that. I think my mom probably thought that I was reacting poorly to other stuff and so forth. Um but that was my first experience. I, f- I felt mortality, not of myself, but of my dad. And I didn't know what to do with it. And when I tried to talk to somebody, I was told not to think about it or not to do anything about it. Right. You're told that, and not as bad as this may sound, perhaps in terms of intention, but to shut that down, we don't go there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and that was my first experience. Um, is right? is is that what happened? I mean, I'm not, you're going to tell us every experience you ever had, but I mean, did you kind of largely just kind of put it on the shelf for a while? Or yeah, um, that's yeah. exactly what happened. Put it on the shelf. Um, I I remember the rest of that ride feeling kind of weird because I think what I was trying to do emotionally is exactly that, and yet mm-hmm. I was still feeling that fear and that despair. Um, uh, but you know, as, as kids life goes, you know, other stuff started to take, um, the space in my head about that. Right. And so I don't remember thinking about it much. I was living in California at the time. I don't remember thinking about it much out there. And I was there until I was a sophomore in high school. Hmm. Um, yeah, I don't really remember anything else. So where does the story go from from there? So you've had this experience and basically the result you came away from it with was to put it on the shelf, right? Um, where does it come up again or what does it, you know, what brings it back to um, before? Yeah. Um, well, there, there are lots of little small things that I can't really remember all the details or don't want to spend any time on those. Let's just say that throughout most of my young adult life, it was kind of like, uh, I'm going to make a weird analogy here, but there's this Rick and Morty episode, (laughs) a Rick and Morty episode where they go to a planet of immortality. Have Mm -hmm. you seen Rick and Morty? Only a little bit. Okay, so they go to this planet, uh, or it's actually an amusement park of immortality, and kids are running around shooting themselves, shooting each other with guns and all this kind of stuff. And uh, there's a group of people that want to kill Rick, and so they put him on this roller coaster where there's just this one section where you could die because you come out of that field just enough. Hmm. Uh, it's for like a half second or something. That's what it felt like a lot of times. Like in my life, I was kind of in this bubble of Christianity, bubble and not talking about it. And I felt kind of immortal. And then every once in a while, I'd just, I'd peek my head up above that and just all this despair would fill mm-hmm. me. So I, I spent a lot of my life in that reality uh, as a young adult. And, you know, I, I recall things here and there since I haven't really told this story I don't have a clear progression of how things moved, but I do remember the next big moment that really sticks out in my brain is uh, at the birth of our first daughter. Um, And 
you know, I was able to be in the room as she was born. I wasn't able with the, with my second because I had to be with my first, mm-hmm. you know, she's born and I felt instantly this kind of responsibility. I didn't feel like the joy and I did, but that wasn't like the big thing for me. The big thing was feeling like, oh, I, I need to do everything I can to make sure this this little thing does well. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I did that, my imagination started going and I started to, you know, f- uh, I kid you not, the cliche of TV shows, maybe it's because of TV shows where I kind of flash through her life and think about all the different things that I now have available to me as experiences with, with her. Um, they all kind of flooded in. And of course, all this happened within like seconds. It didn't take very long. Uh, and then I felt overwhelming sadness and then started to feel despair because the question popped into my mind, well, what if you're not there for those things? Um, and I started to imagine what the world would look like for her without me in the picture. Um, and that was just absolutely terrifying. So I'm dealing with, you know, being a new father. Uh, this is over the course of the first few months. Our first child did not sleep very well. (laughs) Um, It took us three weeks to really get a rhythm down and both of my wife and I say we were broken by all that um, in both good and bad ways. Uh, but I remember that this was part of what was really in the stew for me. I was emotionally tired dealing with this uh, dread and at the same time wanting to do everything I could to to take care of this, this little girl. Uh, it was just debilitating, very awful. I would fall asleep all the time and then couldn't stay asleep because of this, that, and the other. It's basic parent stuff. but well, Basic anxiety stuff, too. Yeah, basic anxiety stuff as well. Um, so put those two together. It was a terrible mess. In fact, I went out to, with what, some of my friends. Uh, one of them happened to be a new dad, but uh, his child was, I think, one year old or something mm-hmm. like that. And I went out uh, to a bar, have some wings, and just get away from the house for a little bit. I got permission from my wife because mm-hmm. um, you have to get permission at you that got time. A, she yeah. gave you a hall pass. <laughs> she gave me a hall pass. And when I got there, my friends were already there. And one of them said, man, you look fucking awful. <laughs> oh, thanks, friend. <laughs> and, you know, he was right. I did because I was just so exhausted and just weary. And I remember zoning in and out during that whole time. And they were very kind. You know, he just made the joke and that was it. They were very kind as I kind of shared some of this stuff. And uh, it happened to be one of my friend's moms were there. So she was talking about how, uh, you know, how it was a struggle for her too. And it was really helpful, but just shows that. Uh, if somebody can notice something about me like that, uh, it was pretty clear that I was dealing with a lot. Hmm. So it seems like the way this story is coming together for you, because like you said, you're you're telling it in like you're constructing it the first time, right? You haven't really yeah. put things together this way. So um, what was the next uh, event or if maybe even vignette, if you want to say that, you know, or like, where does the story go from there in terms of how it's being put together for you or by you today? I think that's really good to say, because uh, as I'm trying to do something here, I've not done before. Uh, I need to really put some goalposts up or not mm-hmm. goalposts, stake markers or whatever. Right. Uh, and I think the next one would be my most recent one, which was when I moved here um, to where we are now. Um, some context, I was, so we have two kids by this point, by the time we move here. And um you know, we're, we're doing kind of the American dream type stuff. We're buying a house where I'm getting a real job. I'm not a student anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife already was working. So um, 
it was just transition for her from being on site to being uh, telecommute. Uh, and of course, we were moving not across the country, but we were newing, moving to a new place uh, and all that. So we have all this good stuff going on, some things spe speaking to some stability. And, you know, when you first get to a congregation, usually you're received really well. Right. Uh, and you get that honeymoon period. Yeah, people were like, hey, this is Jesus. And I'm like, no, no, no. Um, I'm not going to solve your problems. In fact, I'm probably going to create more, which is <laughs> proven to be true. <laughs> um, and what was weird about this occasion, like the other ones seemed to flow from the story, from the experiences I had. But honestly, everything was going pretty well for me. There were a few things that weren't, and I can talk about those, but I started to get into some real panic attacks. Uh, I would wake up in the middle of the night just panicking, and, and it'd wake my wife up, and she'd try to help me. And um, when, when that kind of stuff happens, we've learned it's just, you got to sit, sit with me. That's all that can be done. Um, did you know, like, were they focused on something or were they just, you knew you were panicking, but you didn't know why? Oh, it was all around death. Every okay. single time okay. I have a panic attack, uh, it's about death. Okay. Um, yeah. So that's probably a really good thing to consider. Whenever I do talk about like real terror, real dread, it's not circumstances in my life that I'm thinking about. It's death that I'm thinking about. Okay. through and through. Mm -hmm. Those circumstances, of course, inform it. And what I've learned on the other side of all this is that, uh, you know, I was going through a whole shit ton of change mm -hmm. and my body was reacting like it does with anxiety. And it was trying to cope with all of that. Yeah. And it just couldn't. It's one of those times where, where the brain thinks it's helping you, but it's like, stop helping me. Right? Yeah. You're not, you're yeah. not helping. Yeah. And I just, I spent nine months easily in this area where I had to process. And I, I think the, one of the biggest things was I didn't have a counselor um, because we just moved. And so getting into a rhythm of counseling was really good. Uh, it took me a while because I'm like, no, nah, I don't need to do that again. It was fine. Uh, I know better now. <laughs> yeah. It's, you should make another plug for that while we're here. Of yeah. Like if you need it help that right. way, do it right. There's some kind of stigma around it. It's getting better, but it's still out there. Yeah. And we'll go back to the story in just a second, but it's just ridiculous. If you need help, get the help. And uh, just like Nate, I've been doing it off and on for seven, eight years now, and it has really helped. It's a good thing if you find a good one to help you. So, yeah. Yeah. Even if you think, because I've done it several times where I go in there and I think, I'm just wasting this dude's time because I'm not talking about anything all that interesting or whatever. And turns out those are probably the most important sessions mm. because it, it allows for so much to happen yeah. in future ones. When you find a good therapist, it can really, really help with so many things. Yeah. So I, I, not only did I find a good one, it was my first go around, which was amazing. I was so happy. Um, I didn't have to do the search I did in, in St. Louis. Mm -hmm. um, and that all helped. But in the moment, there was just nine months of this. It, it's not constant. It's like it's a despair that comes when I let my mind go. So mm -hmm. if I wasn't busy, it would go there. If I was getting bored, it would go there. Mm -hmm. And of course, when I was tired, that was the worst because I can't maintain the control over my mind. Right. Tired. So was it kind of like a, a slow simmer all the time? And then yeah. when you couldn't distract yourself is when it boiled kind of idea? Yeah. And my breathing actually uh, mimics that. So my breathing during these periods of time are much more shallow, is much more shallow. Mm. Um, I have a hard time catching my breath. So it's mm. one of the signs. Uh, I was starting to get into one recently and through talking to my counselor and other things, uh, didn't actually happen, but I knew the signs were there. My body was saying it. 
Um, and uh, it feels like it's really hard to explain. People that have panic attacks probably know what it's like, but it feels like somebody is putting a, a hot poker in your emotions and it just builds up all of a sudden. And then depending on what happens, usually I don't let myself go further and further because that's just way too painful. Um, so I'll stop myself, interrupt my thinking, do something, and then it'll come back down. So my, I'll actually moan as if I'm in pain when it happens. Um, and I do that in my sleep. That's how my wife knows that that's mm -hmm. going on because, uh, she'll hear that. And, you know, by the time we both wake up, it's already happening. Yeah. Um, so my panic attacks are really like that. And they're all around death. Even the ones when I say I'm sleeping, it's because I'm dreaming. I've had vivid dreams of hell. I've had vivid dreams of, uh, it's weird to say, but non-existence. I've had vivid dreams about it. Um, and, and others that just wake me up into a panic attack during this time. Now, generally that doesn't happen, but during this specific time, those were fun little new things that happen. I get to wake up to nightmares. They were happening pretty often. The nightmares, he more often than, than I normally dream. Yeah. Certainly, uh, enough that, you know, I never got to the point where I didn't want to go to sleep, but mm -hmm. Because it was kind of like a double-edged sword. If I don't go to sleep, I'm going to get a panic attack. <laughs> right. And then if I go to sleep, I might have a dream that wakes me up in a panic attack. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, I never really got there. It was just like, man, nights suck. I don't want <laughs> uh, during the day. It's so much better. Yeah. I have long, you know, with my anxiety too, it's always worse at night. Always. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. So I was, I was feeling this a lot. Um, and as I said, just a few minutes ago, it's probably just because of all the changes and my body has to deal with that. My internal chemistry is a big piece of that too. I don't have that stable like some people. That's why I take the medication I do. Um, but in the midst of that, I started to, uh, I do this. Ryan knows this well of me. If I'm dealing with something emotionally difficult, I just talk about it because I don't have that connection to ideas and emotions like a lot of people do. Yeah. I think as I've known you and it's, it's changed a lot since we met certainly, but uh, the way that you kind of operate in the world is that you have these experiences and then you process them intellectually. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's exactly what I was doing. And I'm a new pastor. Um, uh, first time I get to do that out loud. And so I don't, uh, don't hear me wrong. I don't burden my congregation with, you know, stories. I just shared what my experience has been and that I wanted to communicate very clearly that this is okay because um, I think part of me needed to know that, needed to hear that is always a weird thing as a pastor to say things that you need okay. to hear. So just to clarify, you shared what with your congregation? That uh, I have a fear of death, that I have some, that it is driven by death anxiety that comes in spurts mm -hmm. and uh, can be really overwhelming sometimes. Okay. Uh, and it was always, you know, I didn't like, do an eight hour. It was always connected to some sort of passage, not that solved that problem for me, but talked about vulnerability and authenticity and that kind of stuff. Um, cause that's kind of what we were doing at that time. Uh, and that was the first time I kind of shared it publicly. Uh, and I didn't say this with the, my daughter cause it wasn't true in that experience, but uh, most of my experiences when I'm doing this, trying to process it intellectually, people look at me and they don't know what to do with that. Just like my mom didn't mm -hmm. know. Mm -hmm. um, now, not everybody has the same kind of reaction. A lot do. Um, but I never really got any satisfactory answers or 
some conversation around just owning that. I had to do that work uh, by myself and with um, with Ryan and, of course, my wife. Yeah. Uh, that's where I was really able to work through that. So what was, just because I, well, I think I remember you telling me, but just for everybody else's benefit and to refresh my memory, like, what was the congregation's response to something like that? I, I'm going to go out on a limb here and expect that the, no pastors they've had before have done that. <laughs> yeah, uh, there is general confusion, which is if you're ever in one of my congregations, you will know that is a general, <laughs> mm -hmm. that's, that's how it works with me. You're going to be confused. Uh, I would say about half of them were really empathetic and at least understanding on the surface. It was like, sharing, yeah, I'm afraid of this, which I always felt comfort with, not for my own benefit, but that my words are actually doing something. Um, and there were people who shared some stories about their parents or, you know, someone they lost that was dealing with that too. And, and just saying that made me think of another benchmark or, or stake in the ground. The first time I came, uh, the first funeral I had here, I was called like, gosh, it was during that nine months that I was dealing with it. Uh, okay, I remember this, yeah. It might be the thing that set it all off, to be honest. Uh, and I'm going to try my best to get through it because it still, it still hurts. Um, I went to a man's house. It was in a very poor part of town. You could tell the family wasn't doing very well financially. Um, the guy who was dying, he couldn't afford being in a hospital, being taken care of. So, you know, the trauma of seeing that for one of the first times was really tough. Um, his family was surrounding him. He was in the middle of the living room in this tiny little house. Um, I mean, it was tiny. It was just the one room that shared with a the kitchen. There was a bathroom and then another bedroom mm -hmm. in the house. Um and they're all there, and he's he's in the throes of death very clearly. Um, I don't need to go into that too much. Uh, and here I am, a brand new pastor, not really knowing anything. I had to look through. We have this little thing, a little book that helps us in these situations. And I'm reading through it, and I'm like, this doesn't help me at all with all the fears and worries that I've got. As those books are often like that, yeah. Yeah. So now I've like found stuff, and I tape it into the book, so people uh -huh. are doing Lutheran stuff, which is great. <laughs> um, anyway, so I'm, I'm in that room. There's this great dog there that kind of helped me a little bit. Um, and they want to sit him up. He's on his, on, the, on his back in the bed. They want him to sit up as I give him communion, which is something that we do, right? Mm -hmm. um, and this is like, just as a minor thing, this would like be like I tear a piece of the wafer, put it into wine. It's almost dissolving as I put it in his mouth. It's yeah. not something he has to do anything with. But the trauma, I think I'm giving all these details so I don't have to talk about the hard <laughs> thing. Um, I remember very clearly at the end of my thing, I didn't know how to exit, which is, you know, an introvert's worst nightmare of yeah. how do I get out of this? Well, and as someone who regularly deals with this kind of thing, guess what? That does, that feeling does not go away. <laughs> when is the time to leave and how do I do it? Yeah. Yeah. And I know most families are okay with you leaving whenever, um, but it's still just... Well, it's, it's hard to ask, though, because yeah. if you ask, they're probably going to say they're fine, whether they are or not. <laughs> so anyway. And you also have like that worry of like, am I overstaying my welcome? And mm -hmm. they just don't want to tell me um, because death within a family is a really intimate thing. You know, I can talk about being a pastor and being there for some of these things. And it's very vulnerable and hard to let people in during those times. And so I want to respect that. Uh, and as a new pastor, I didn't know how to navigate any of that. I still don't really, but much better than I did before. Anyway, so I'm sitting there, I'm done with my thing. Uh, it was snowy on the ground like it is now. Um, and like, okay, do I put my jacket on? Do I do this and that? And 
he's still sitting up and his daughter and his wife were there. Um, his daughter and a couple of her friends, I think her boyfriend and others. And she just starts to get really, um, really sad seeing him because, you know, he goes in and out of those throws in different ways. And she brings his head to her forehead and just says amazing things and really heartbreaking things together. Like, I love you, dad, and I'm going to miss you. And it was just, it was so hard. Mm -hmm. Um, I held it together, but I held it together in probably a really unhealthy way of just stowing it away. Mm. Um, because even now when I talk about it, my ears, my eyes are watering and it's, it's harder for me to talk about this than any other one. Um, and give me a second. You take your time. No hurry. What was hard for me was seeing my daughter. And it was just such a hard death because he was a younger guy. He must have been in his late 50s, early 60s. He was dying of cancer because he was a full-blown smoker. You know, he just had a rough life. And she's sitting there dealing with her own pain of what's going on. And I just couldn't take it. Yeah. So uh, I had to push it down because I didn't want it to be about me. Uh, and now I'm, now I'm dealing with that because every time I tell that story... Uh, it comes back up. Do you so just uh, pause for a second? Do you need a few minutes? You can take a little time if you need to. No, I'm okay. Okay. And what comes up is not the not the terror, not the fear. It's the sadness. But as I think about it, and I, I'm not worried that it's going to happen now. <laughs> the the terrible thing about anxiety is you never know. Right. But, uh, it, it, it either set me off into this trajectory or it was already bubbling up and this just made it even worse. It was something like that, uh, during the, the nine months that I first started here and, you know, I had to, I had to go through that and back to the story that brought us here. As I was telling the congregation, people would share stories like that where they could see in, in their loved one who was passing some fear or they were dealing with fear as that person was passing and so forth. Most of the reactions were like that. I'd say about half of the ones that I received, um, you know, there were probably another 40% that was just like, Hey, that was a good pastor. Thanks for sharing mm -hmm. that kind of thing. And then we did get some, I did get some of those typical Christian things of, um, well, you don't have to be afraid or right. that kind of thing. Um, but I would say overall it was a generally positive experience sharing that it certainly has set the tone for my ministry in a way, at least here, that uh, I'm going to talk about things that nobody else talks about. Hmm. And I'm going to make it clear that we, we need to be okay with that. So given that that was kind of how the congregation reacted, uh, like you said, kind of a mixed response, right? Um, was there anyone else that you shared this with or that helped you during this, this stuff? Well, I've already mentioned that my wife, has helped tremendously. Um, and I've already shared that Ryan, you've helped too. um, being able to just go and talk to somebody was really important, especially as I'm dealing with these things. I think I called you in the car after I had that experience, if I recall correctly. I think you did actually. Yeah. I think I remember that. Uh, 
So I don't know. It'd be weird or not weird. It'd be interesting to go back and see if uh, I was still shut off uh, in the call that I had with you. I don't remember. I remember it happening, but I don't remember all the specifics of what we talked about and stuff. Yeah, me either. But there was somebody that uh, you actually recommended I call. I'm not going to say who that was, but it's somebody we both trust very much. And, uh, you know, we look up to quite a bit. He's helped us with a lot of things. Yeah. And uh, so I, I called him, which I don't typically do. Usually I just text him, but I called him and I said, Hey, I got to talk to you about something that I don't typically talk to you about. Um, and I've never really done this before. Um, but I think that you're the right person to talk to about this. And so I, I shared it. I think it was, uh, I don't know if I already said this on the podcast part, but I, it happened during this whole uh, experience at the the man's house who passed away. Um, it was in the mix of all of that, that I needed some more help. I didn't have a counselor and all that. And so I told him the details of what I was going through. I didn't really tell a whole story or anything, but it just like, this is what I'm dealing with. I'm not finding any help because uh, as we'll probably discuss next time, the narratives within the church around death are, are not helpful for death anxiety uh, necessarily. Um, and it was the first time that I received the, the type of response that I did, and I knew it would be good talking to him. And at I got to say this clearly, at the time, I didn't really appreciate it <laughs> uh, because I was looking for a way to solve the problem, which to is feel better, yeah, you know, feel better. But it was helpful the more and more I lived in this reality, um, especially during these nine months. And he told me two things. He said, I want you to know that it's okay to feel what you're feeling. Uh, and it's normal and natural to feel this way. Hmm. And the second thing he said, he played into my information and the, the pro process I was going through at the time. And he said, you know, something, one of the side effects of the work that you do is that you're going to be seeing things in a brand new way and you're not going to know what to do with those. He said, this is one of those places that is new said it's not new for the world it's not new for other christians uh, necessarily but it's certainly new for us christians us lutheran christians because we don't have a way of really honoring this experience and i don't know how the conversation went but that led to probably the most important thing he said which is uh you know, I remember when I felt this way too. He said, I was doing my work and all of a sudden I realized that uh, everything that I was taught about death was not wrong, but it was very surface level and kind of immature. And it didn't help me handle what I was experiencing well. And, and then he told me, you'll get through it. You will. Um, and if you need me, I'm still here for you. Hmm. And yeah. that Sorry, was, go ahead. that was, that was something I hadn't heard before <laughs> in many senses of the word, but just pausing again, I I'll say it again. I did not appreciate it at that <laughs> time. Um, but it's exactly what I needed to hear because whatever fix I would have gotten at that time probably wouldn't have been lasting. But that was really lasting to know that somebody who is much smarter than I am, much more uh, emotionally intelligent than I, you know, just somebody I really look up to has dealt with the same thing that I'm dealing with mm -hmm. and that it's okay and the promise that I'll get through it and the further promise that I'll figure something out. Um, that was really important and really necessary for me. Well, and it was the total other side of the coin that you experienced when this started for you, right? You At the beginning, you got, we don't talk about that. And then at this part, you get the exact opposite of like, 
yeah, that's normal. That's, I'm, you know, you're gonna experience that. And it just kind of stuck out to me that, um, I'm not saying that those bookend the story in the sense that it's done, but just in terms of mile markers in them, I think I see why those two are so significant in terms of the progress of how you've, uh, a process of how you've dealt with these things. Yeah, I don't think I've thought of it that way before, but definitely as somebody who really wants to walk alongside people and wants Christians to walk alongside other people. Imagine that. Um, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, that's. I think that's a good place for the story to not be done, but as I'm telling this for the first time, it's a good place for the story to kind of rest for now because I know, I mean, I, I rediscovered things that I've even told people uh, in this retelling of the story. Uh, and I know that's going to happen in the future too, but I think for now that's a really good place to I'm feeling good, honestly, being able to tell that and share it a little bit. I think it's a good uh, starting point for figuring out how to tell the story well. So having offered that story today where we're at in the story with you as you've told it to us, is there anything that you'd like to tell people who are listening um, right now? Yeah, um, I think the biggest thing that a lot of people don't know is there's a lot of shame and a lot of fear around talking about death. But what my story has, or my experiences have been able to do is I see people responding to death in the same way that I do. Now, not everybody does. And not everybody who does respond that way would say they have panic attacks or have death anxiety. But it allows me to see how they react in, in ways that I don't know it's true for everybody else. And they're, in the Christian church especially, you're not supposed to talk about death. Mm -hmm. You're supposed to talk about heaven. And you're supposed to talk about joy. Um, and so whenever there's conversation about what death really is, there's, of course, the general nervousness everybody has because nobody likes thinking about their own mortality. But then there are people who feel genuine shame and despair and fear, and they can't share that with anybody in the church. Mm -hmm. And I guess what I want you to do if you're listening to this is be aware of that as you talk about death. Um, you might be surprised at how many of us are out there in the Christian world. It doesn't mean that we don't believe in the resurrection. It just means that it's more complex than we usually give credit to. And, well, and even with the resurrection, you have to die first. Yeah, you still have to die. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it's tough being somebody who worries about death as a Christian. So be sensitive, be aware, be on the lookout during conversations about loss, about death. Uh, it really is a hidden struggle that many people have. Uh, especially in our culture, as we'll talk about next time, I'm sure. Uh, since it's not okay to talk about it, you know, a lot of us put it down deep. And if I can say anything, if I want you to take anything from this conversation, it would be that the relief and the hope, the conversation I had with my my friend who I really honor and and love and look up to that was the most life-giving conversation i have ever had around this and if we had more of those conversations we had more of those moments of empathy as ryan likes to talk about 
I think we would be much healthier as people, and you would certainly help out people like me whenever you come across them. Well, I, I want to first say thanks to Nate for sharing that story with us. Um, it's not an easy one to share. Uh, and I just, I think I'll speak for all for myself and our myriad listeners and just say thanks for yes thanks for sharing it though um and yeah i think that's all i need to say there um we appreciate it and so next week we're gonna talk about some of the things that came up from this story i think we're gonna maybe talk about death more broadly and not necessarily theologically, although that may come up because we're both theologians, but more in the sense of what have we experienced and you know what would we like to see different and, and that kind of thing, like, like we've done with other stuff. So I hope you'll join us again for our second episode about death. Um, and I, I say that sort of in jest, but honestly, I don't because I think that's what Nate's been talking about today is that, you know, you see that an episode's about death. I hope that means you'll listen to it. Not like, oh, I don't want to go there, but I guess we'll see what happens. Um, so just remember that uh, one of the reasons, or I guess the main reason we're doing this podcast is because it really is okay not to know. It's okay to explore. It's okay to be afraid. Um, it's okay to admit that you're struggling with something or some things because I think what we are finding as we walk through this is that community gets us to the new places that we go to. And it's hard to do this kind of stuff alone. And hopefully, I think a lot of us have had to do that for a lot or a long time. So I hope that you hear that, you know, you're not alone either, even if the story that you would tell is not this one or mine or, you know, your own story is your own. But I, I hope that you can hear how there are people who want to come alongside you, at least as much as we can do that. If you want to give us any feedback or, you know, tell us something or uh, whatever, you can send us an email at frontierfaithpodcast at gmail.com. And if you could rate us uh, five stars, please, um, on whatever podcast app you use, that would help us just so that more people can hear it. We don't make any money off of this. So just just because, you know, you know, I'm not trying to shill for us here. <laughs> um, if you want to send us money? You can yeah, I mean, I mean, I will not send it back to you. <laughs> <laughs> but the point is, just uh, we've heard a from a few people that this kind of thing has been helpful for them, and so we just would like as many people to have that opportunity as possible. So thanks for listening, and it'll be okay. And it's it's okay now. It'll be okay. God's going to take care of us. <laughs>